Indian Matchmaking is a reality series on Netflix that went viral during the pandemic and just released season two. I got a chance to sit with the castmates and interview them on my podcast. Whether you're all for arranged marriage or want to swipe left or swipe right, this series on Indian matchmaking has something for everyone. I've partnered with a brand that I love, the Chai Box, because nothing says I love you like a warm cup of chai. I also caught up with the founder, Monica Sunny, on how she built her brand, which caught the attention of Oprah. We'll talk about chai meditation and the rituals that the castmates have around chai death. So this Valentine's Day, the Chai Box presents Behind the Scenes with the cast of Indian Matchmaking only on That's Total Mom Sense. So sip your tea while they spill the tea. Oh, vale, vale. See you there. Hi, everyone. It's Kanika. This week, I interviewed Netflix breakout star and author Aparna Shivakramani and her mom, Jyotika. We talked about Aparna's childhood being raised by a strong single mother, how they found their village, and what went through her mind when she submitted herself for the Indian matchmaking casting call, and how her ideals of love have evolved. Listen in. From her polarizing portrayal in Netflix's hit TV show, Indian Matchmaking, season one and two, Aparna Shivakramani became an overnight ambassador for women demanding to be heard in their love lives, workplaces, and in every space they occupy. Aparna is living an authentic life by refusing to let others tell her story, so she did it herself in her book, She's Unlikable, and Other Lies That Bring Women Down. Aparna studied policy studies at Rice University and law at Vanderbilt. She is an avid traveler and has visited over 44 countries and counting, and is the founder of the luxury travel company, My Golden Balloon. And I have to add, Bolivia's tourism has seen an uptick, thanks to Aparna's reference of the salt flats there, Salar du Uyuni being the largest in the world at over 10,000 square kilometers. Aparna, welcome to That's Total Mom Sense, and congrats on all your success. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here today. Thank you. I want to start with the salt flats. I feel like seeing pictures of the hexagons and the sand and the reflection of the clouds, it's absolutely breathtaking. So what did you feel when you were there? I've never been. (laughs) I was supposed to go. It was a huge trip that was planned. And then their government had a coup around the time we were taping. And so my trip got canceled because the whole country was shut down, especially the roads out to the salt flats. And we scheduled it for March or April of 2020. I think it was the end of March. It was already set. And then of course, COVID happened. And they just reopened, I think maybe four or five months ago. A lot of my friends from England recently went and they're like, it's open again. Your time has finally come. And I'm like, (laughs) now I feel like there's a lot of pressure on it. And I also don't have two weeks to go down to Chile and Bolivia right now. So it's on my list still. It remains one of my top destinations I must get to ASAP. I've never seen it. My friends, to make me feel a little better about it, in the height of COVID, I think September of 2020, no vaccines were out. We're in the middle of this lockdown. And they're like, let's go to Utah. There's salt flats there. (laughs) There are in Bonneville, Utah, and they're stunning. They look quite similar, actually, to the salt flats in Bolivia. So I've had a teaser and I'm ready for the real deal. Yeah. So let's start with your childhood. What was it like for you and your sister Vansa growing up? We were very lucky. We grew up as expats in Dubai and it was a very loving community. It was a very small community back when we were there. Don't want to age myself, but it was definitely the 80s and early 90s. In hindsight, it was so small of a community that we celebrated everything together and everybody just loved holidays. So half my friends growing up were 
Pakistani and, and Muslim. Of course, I'm a Hindu. We were all celebrating Eid and Diwali. We loved Easter. None of us were Christian or Christmas. I mean, really in these expat communities, any holiday you get, you, you jump on. So it was this very fun community of people who liked revelry and celebrations and bonded no matter their background, which in hindsight was very special. I also went to an English school. I was born in London and back in the day in the 80s and 90s to go to a special school. You had to be from there. And so I didn't really get to see a lot of my community at school because it was just like my sister and I in this English school with all these English kids, you know, straight from London. And so I kind of had this dual life where I got to really live that expat experience of being English during the day and then being South Asian, um, you know, the weekends and then the evenings. And it made the world so much smaller. You know, we were also so close to India that we were going to Bombay for the weekend. We were traveling to the States and to London every summer because it's too hot to be in Dubai. So the world was very small for me from the get-go. I never thought of the absurdity of flying back then 24, 26 hours to America every summer. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's normal. That really set me up for the way I viewed the world as very connected and as very community oriented. Yes, that's so great. And now, you know, I do think of you know, adolescents growing up with Indians in the mainstream and it's incredible, you know, to see South Asians in the media, whether it's comedians or shows like Never Have I Ever or Miss Marvel or Indian Matchmaking. I feel like we've arrived and I'm so excited that this generation gets to grow up with that. Yeah, I think it's just the beginning, though. I think that we won't even be able to imagine what a child being born right now will see in five to seven years. I know that as I enter this development world um, myself, as I'm creating my own TV show, my own movie right now, I'm writing a screenplay and creating a docuseries. It's about South Asians. And if all of us are starting to create and we're bringing these ideas and our images to mainstream television, I hope that we flood this market and that it's not just shows you can name in a minute, but that you're forever naming it. I think of Black media and the way it started with The Cosby Show and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And now we wouldn't even know where to begin. There's so many shows. We don't even think to count them. They're just a part of our pop culture. And I think that we are kind of mimicking that movement. And right now we're at the early, early stages where we've got two reality shows, a couple of, you know, unscripted shows. We're starting to see um, South Asian characters be melded and, and put in Shonda shows, you know, as leads with more diverse casts, um, not just South Asian or Asian casts. I can already see the difference in 2020. So I'm very hopeful that the difference we see in the next five years will, will blow us all away. You are living your best life and you chose to give up law. You wrote your book, which we're going to get into you've traveled and you actually returned to your roots because I did hear an interview where you shared about how you've always been a creative writer. Your um, professor would be so proud of you that you took the leap and wrote your book. So there's a lot of risk taking that you've done. Where did you find the chutzpah to just do it and make these moves? I felt like I was pushed up against a wall at a certain point. You know, it was July of 2020, the show came out I saw it for the first time that night at 2 a.m. when it dropped in L.A. at midnight and I was in Houston and I don't think it hit me for a few days that I had been vilified and that that was not my story. And I had two choices. I could crawl into bed and turn off my phone, which a few reality TV personalities told me they had done and that worked quite efficiently, they said, or I could tell my story. And before I knew it, hundreds of media outlets from around the world wanted to hear my story. And I will forever be grateful for that. There was no way I had the tools and resources to amplify my own voice. So those women, it was female journalists that stepped up and, and really told my story from 
Hong Kong and Korea to South Africa to the Middle East. I mean, I was waking up at 6 a.m. to do European press, starting work at 9 a.m. I'm still a full-time lawyer, doing online court, doing lunch interviews with the U.S., doing U.S. interviews from like 4 to 7 p.m., you know, while Pacific Coast was still like, you know, in their work day. I would walk my dog, eat my dinner and then start Indian press by 9 p.m. to wake up again at 6 a.m. and do European press. This went on for months, months. It was wild. I was sleeping like two to three hours a night and it got to the point where my family was scared. They were like, what's going to happen to your health? Like you're not drinking water, you're not eating food. And so my mom's like, you got to cut the fat. And the fat was my full-time job as a lawyer. Because at that point, I had just gotten the book deal. I knew I wanted to write this book. I wanted to give my time to it. I wanted to continue my press. I was growing a social media presence that you know furthered my message. I thought the fat's this this job I've always hated. Obviously, you know, two years out from making all that money, and I'm like, oh man, I miss that money just flowing into my bank account every two weeks. Because let me tell you, the life of the creator it, it does not have that stability. It is a lot about risks. It is very uncomfortable a lot of the time. And I want to be more transparent about that because so many people are like, oh, you're so brave, and I'm like, yeah, I'm also so scared. I miss the stability, and you know, I am an immigrant, and I, it was ingrained in me that stability was the be all to end all. And and some days I'm riddled with the anxiety of the fact of where's my next paycheck coming from? Uh, and, and how do I continue this creative process without worrying about my next paycheck? Um, because it does hinder your creativity when you're worried about income flow. And um, I've just, my adult life never had to worry about that as a lawyer, but now I'm just embracing this kind of uncertainty and and stepping out on faith a lot and, and hoping that I don't crash. I think storytelling is becoming my mission. This is why I'm writing a screenplay next. Um, I'm halfway through it and it has a South Asian female protagonist and it's a rom-com because I love rom-coms and I want a South Asian woman to be the lead and I want her culture to be at the forefront of it. I'm creating my own docuseries. We're in development right now. I have a great production team. I have a great director and it's my journey. Like I'll be on screen. I'll be the creator. I'll be the executive producer. Like how cool to story tell something outside of my love life. Like I will never, ever, ever go on a date on international television ever again. Uh, <laughs> people are like, you're in season three, aren't you? I'm like, hell no. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm doing something scripted and it's totally different. <laughs> yeah. Best of luck to the suckers who are on season three, but it's not me. I'm not. Well, I want to touch on that scene, Indian matchmaking one, and then season two. Tell us the moment that you were cast, because just to put your feeler out and say, I'm going to lie to this casting call is one thing. And then to get that call back is like a whole other thing. So describe that moment for us. It's actually the opening pages of my book, She's Unlikable. It's the moment mm -hmm. that I apply to this show. So you see me in the LA airport shuffling through this line. I was standby. I was flying back early because I had been on an unsuccessful date in LA and I was very disappointed. The boy, the man, the guy really liked me and I just wasn't feeling him. And I was really disappointed because I put a lot of stock into this date. And I get online as I'm waiting to board, because if you're standby, you board last if they have a seat for you. And I'm on Facebook because it's 2017 and right. <laughs> relatively new. So we used to scroll Facebook, guys. And then someone had written, are you South Asian? Are you single? Are you looking for your partner? If so, my sister is the casting director of this new docuseries. The creator of the show is this award-winning, I think, Tribeca Film Festival documentary documentarian. This is an opportunity to work with a worldwide matchmaker. I had already signed up many years ago, uh, I think six, seven years prior to this with another matchmaker here in the U.S. who's South Asian. She was maybe like $15,000. 
And she rejected me. I was, she said I was too young, too pretty. And all her clients were divorced 40 year olds and that I was not oh. in her data pool. Okay. And she rejected me, which it was fair. She was like, you're yeah. 27. You're so pretty. You're young. Get on these things called dating apps. They've just started. They work. Don't spend your money on me. I actually appreciated her candor. But here I was seven years later thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get her for free. <laughs> I signed up and didn't think anything of it. Within a few hours, they emailed me back. We started the casting process. Still never thought anything of it. was told this was a docuseries that would highlight the best parts of my culture. thought I would get this woman I already loved and knew you know, from seven years ago free. I thought it was a swimming deal all around. And I thought it was going to be the most boring show in the world that maybe five people would watch it, like my mom, my friends. Like I thought it would air in maybe America, Canada, and India, maybe if we were lucky. So we had no concept of what was being created or how it was going to be created and where it would air. We only found out the week before the show came out that it would be airing globally in 140 plus countries. So up until the launch date, we literally had the notions that this was quite a tiny production and, and show. Okay, so on season one, did Simonti really have it out for you? At the time, I was being quite polite to her when I met her. Um, I mean, I wish you could have seen my face, but you actually see my back when I'm opening the door and I see her for the first time. And I'm like, that is not the matchmaker. Yeah, I was like, who are you? And she's like, I'm from Mumbai. I'm like, but wait, you're supposed to be from America. Yeah. So I had made up a narrative in my own head about who it was. So I was just stunned. And then she's asking me, can we speak in Hindi? And my Hindi is so poor. It is like a five-year-old's or less. And I'm like, I'm not going to discuss the biggest part of my life and my goals in the language that I can speak at a kindergarten level of. And I was like, no. And she looked at me like flabbergasted. And then she started like name dropping to me, all the people she knows. And it was all the people I knew. And I it's like, I'm not here for name dropping. I'm here for you to find me a husband lady. Yeah. Like, yeah. Down, get with the program. Um, <laughs> you've already disappointed me by not being the person I thought you would be. And now I am very wary of her, but I'm very polite to her. You see me being actually excessively polite in season one. She's like, you know, railing through my house, all these terrible things about my closet, which was a room and my dogs and the fact that I don't cook. And I'm just like, like okay, okay, auntie, like go just do your job, you know? And I literally, at one point you see on season one, I'm like, just find me a husband. Like by now I'm like about to kick her out of my house. I'm like, <laughs> I would be quite a limited interaction where she would literally just pick people out of her hat, throw them at me. And then obviously it's evolved over the season. And we see the things she says behind my back um, on her confessionals, which are just downright nasty. And so when it came to season two, I thought about who I am and how I want to tell my story. And I thought, well, this is not the way I want to tell my story. I don't want to bend forward and, you know, figuratively touch the feet of, as Jay does, this this woman who has now badmouthed me and my family said really heinous things about us and um, also amplifies and condones behavior that I would not in general terms ever amplify or condone myself. So I said, I'm happy to share my ongoing story, but it will be on my terms and I will not use the matchmaker. Now, a lot of people are having issues with that. You know, a lot of trolls are coming at me this season. Why did you waste space on this show if you weren't going to work with her? The South Asian matchmaking is about community. You can have a traditional matchmaker, but you can also have your community step up. And and that is a part of Indian matchmaking. My story is valid and merited. That's why I did it the way I did it. And trolls be damned. I don't really care. I love our community. I love the way that we are invested in people's love stories and that we want them to be happy. I mean, I literally need strangers who are like, I've got a guy for you. And I'm like, (laughs) of this community, that is the beauty of a matchmaking. Writing a memoir 
must be the most painful yet cathartic experience ever. What was it like for you to just, you know, put pen to paper and pour your heart out? It was really difficult at times because I think there's so many things I hadn't processed that I just moved through to survive after, you know, July of 2020. I don't think I'd ever processed in depth the the death threats or the hate that I got after the show and how scared I was and all of the feelings. You know, when you're writing, you're writing for a third party to pick it up and get the full picture. But when you're living it, you just process it to as little as possible if it's a hurtful experience and you move through it. But many parts were very easy. They were just sharing my life the way I would a diary entry with a younger woman, which is so funny because so many women around the world are reading this book and they're like, I feel like I'm peeking into the diary of an older sister. And I'm like, that's kind of how I saw it, that I was just sharing with you the life lessons that kind of brought me to where I am today. And you know, it was interesting. I was looking for memoirs of South Asian women that I could read to to kind of research and I couldn't find any that were not about women that had already reached a pinnacle of some sort and were looking back down the mountain from the top telling us how they did it. Who's writing about it while they're doing it? Like, yes. um, no one. I, I think it's because no one thinks they deserve to tell that story until they reach the pinnacle. And so I guess I was on my own there. I was like, I haven't reached anywhere. I actually don't even know what I'm going to be doing in a few months. And I'm not pretending to know. And I'm not trying to fake it till I make it. I'm sharing it. I'm sharing it along the way. And I'm being transparent about it. I don't believe in this concept of, of Nazar. People are like, oh, should you be talking about the show you're developing? What if no one ever buys it? I'm like, who cares? I did want you to share maybe a few highlights of your 11 rules. So each chapter is named after one of my rules to living life. And it kind of takes you through the moments in my life that taught me that rule. It also covers Indian matchmaking because it did teach me immense amounts. I mean, that was a a sharp, a steep learning curve right there about life. But it also takes me through, you know, you're not a tree you can move. I lived in Houston for so long. And the last chapter is this chapter 11. It was added in two days before we finalized the book. And it's because I felt that when I finished the book, my story was still being told and I wanted to quickly update people on what had happened. And what had happened is I quit everything I knew in Houston, which was my job, my family, my home. And I moved to a new city with virtually no friends. I never lived there as an adult, no job to speak of except being a creative. I shared the struggles of that and, and the financial reasons behind it and how that worked. I was very open. I think that the the rules are there to make you reflect on your life, you know, Chapter one is my favorite chapter. It's called um, Find Your Own Lifeboat and Hang On for Dear Life. And I speak about losing my home in Hurricane Harvey and what that was like, the devastating loss of waking up one morning and seeing every possession you own gone. I understand that 99% of people in in this world or that read this book will never lose their home in a hurricane. We will experience loss and grief um, as human beings, and it will come suddenly just the way those waters came into my home. And I hope that my story of loss will inspire others to reflect on their own stories of loss and who they were when they were on their knees and what they built from that place of being on their knees in in that loss. What I built was creating a beautiful life for myself. I could have, like I said, curled up in a ball and fetal position and stayed there. Or I could tell my story, reclaim my narrative and build something beautiful. And I chose to build. And I'm hoping that my story will hit someone when they're going through the loss or have just come through the loss and that they too decide what they're going to do from that place. And I hope they create. What are qualities that your ideal partner would have? Because I feel like everyone always says the same stuff. So I'm curious to know yours. You know, I don't have anything anymore. It's the way they make me feel. When I walk away from a date, I say, um, did I feel heard? Did I feel understood? Did I feel safe? Did I feel appreciated? 
And did I want to know more about them? When I walk away from them, was I like, oh, I wish I could hear more about that experience or I bet you there's a story behind that and I can't wait to hear it. I want someone who makes me feel good. And, and I really am doing gut checks now when I meet people to see how they make me feel. And I'm going to pick my partner based on that. Is there... A drink of choice that you like? I'm now very much into mocktails, but I love ginger beer. I'm like a ginger everything, a ginger chai, a ginger beer, alcohol or not. I'll probably have a ginger beer in my hand. <laughs> That's cool. Is there a song you could listen to on repeat? I imagine myself walking down the aisle to Egg Larky Kodeka. So sometimes Aww. I put it on to remind myself that, girl, you are going to have a wedding one day and you are going to walk down the aisle. So. Yes, yes. A little hope, a little love, a little optimism, you know, it goes a long way. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's the sweetest thing. Is there a book that changed your life, um, not including yours? <laughs> Which definitely did. I love wonderful fiction that stays with me for years. Like there are some books that are almost haunting in a good way that they they tell a story that is so expansive and so much about the human condition. Like I'm such a reader. I love home going. I still think about the characters in that book. Um, I love cutting for stone. I love all Camilla Shamsi books. She's an incredible Pakistani writer. Of course, Alka Joshi is amazing and has her new book coming out soon about a Paris perfumer. But these are just the stories that people tell from fiction, I think are just so beautiful. And um, those are my favorites. That's awesome. Uh, do you have a ritual that you do? I have a new one that I've started in the past month or two, which has really kept me grounded. I do a lot of manifestation practices and I've always kind of been into that work, well, you know, for the past few years, but a phrase has stuck with me that I now utilize a lot. It's two phrases. I choose love instead of this and I choose peace instead of this. So when I feel myself having a thought or a feeling or being engulfed by something that is not positive and I will either choose love or peace in that moment. And I will sit there, acknowledge that this, whatever this is, that thought is, is being put aside for the choice of love or peace in that moment. And sometimes it, it takes a minute or two of sitting in silence and saying, I choose love instead of this. I choose peace instead of this. Um, and it has brought me a far away in, in a difficult past month or two. And speaking of love, let's bring out your mama. Okay. Let me go grab her. Awesome. This is kind of Hi. Hi, Auntie. How are you? Well, thank you. How are you? Good, good. It's so nice to meet you. You know, you, you've always been a trailblazer and are so progressive and you made it a point to empower your daughters, Aparna and Vansa, to follow their purpose and always speak their mind. What made you be this way, especially when you come from the previous generation where so many women didn't have the, you know, chutzpah to do that? I think it's natural, at least for me, that we want to give our children, the next generation, more opportunities, better than what we had. Even if we had it good in some parts, you know, at some point in time, we still want them to have it better. It's just that natural urge for a parent, I think. So it's never really been something that I had to work on. It was always like, I want the best for them. I want the best for them. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. And Aparna, in one of your chapters, you talk about your ugly duckling privilege um, with your mom. You want to shed a little light on that? Shockingly, everyone says I look like her now. Yeah, you do. You're twins. <laughs> I actually look like my dad, but um, my whole life, you know, my sister is very tall also. Um, you know, in our culture, we talk a lot about skin color. She was more fair than me. My mom is is quite fair in skin color as well. And it was quite the privilege of mine to be the short, dark one because they were like, oh, we don't expect anything great from her. 
So then I was like, cool, I'll just be reading and traveling and going to amazing schools and making great friends and living my best life. And um, I call that the ugly duckling privilege. I want to reframe the perspective that people don't have those expectations of you. You can accomplish so many beautiful things and live a life that is reflective of who you are on the inside and not at all dampened by what those want to see you accomplish because of the things on the outside. Auntie, is there a mom sense moment that you've had that you can share with us? Well, there's a big one when I actually left their father and brought them away over here. I just wanted them to know that they didn't have to live a life of, you know, subservience or anything. And they were equals with every other human being and should expect the best for themselves. That was the reason I wanted to bring them out of that environment. So, Wow. Do you have advice for those who are parents of young kids now, any kind of learnings that you had in your lifetime that you're like, oh, we should pass this down? I think that you should encourage daughters and remind them constantly that they are, just because they're not sons, which is an issue in our culture, I think, that that they're not any less. If anything, I think that they have more power because apart from all the intelligence and everything and the internal strength, they also have that nurturing instinct and you add that to all of it and they're like fabulous. Mm-hmm. I'm blessed to have these girls and I don't understand why anyone would think that they were less. I think they're more. Is there a mantra that both of you live by? I think it's like always be grateful and go forth and conquer with confidence, but gratitude, take gratitude with you every step of the way. Yeah, I would say that's a big thing in our home and in the way that we practice and in the way that we try new things. I mean, mom is a lifetime learner. I think I got that from her too. And part of our risk taking is that we are always learning new things, whether it's, you know, her entrepreneurial pursuits or I'm very proud of her. She's recently started trading in the stock market and she's just like throwing herself into it. She's like growing and learning and charting and doing all these very complicated things I don't even know about. Like in my 60s, I'm going to be learning something new. And she's like, I'm so grateful I get to learn this. And I'm like, yeah. Like the first thing she says is, I'm so grateful I get to learn this. And I'm like, I'm so grateful that I get to move to New York for one month at a time with sublets and and also come home whenever I want to Houston and to travel the world. Like everything begins with our gratitude and we go forth from that place. Um, I wanted to ask how, you know, fame has affected you both. Do you feel like, you know, now when you step out, you're going to be greeted by these swarms of people and is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Um, and Auntie, I'm sure same for you. It's like people will recognize you and those in the Houston community Noah Barna was on the show. She has a book. Like, has that changed your outlook? You know, I have to say no. I don't go out very much. But when I do, yes, I do see this recognition. I also see Aparna being recognized everywhere. And I'm still amused because to me, she's (laughs) just that little girl. And what's next uh, for you? I know you touched on your screenwriting. Can you tell us a little bit more about what we can expect as we follow you on your journey? Yeah, uh, I'm very open about it. I've also started a TikTok, the geriatric millennials hear me out. It's actually really fun. I started a few months ago and I have very honest conversations. I feel the audience is so much younger there. I love chatting with them and I'm taking them on my journey of developing this docu-series that I'm working on. Um, I can't say too much about it, but it's based in India and it's you know a dream of mine to see this on a screen one day. I'm very honest that maybe we won't see it on a screen one day, but I love what I'm creating and I feel so blessed to do it. I also am writing a screenplay instead of a book. So I was going to start my second book. And then I was like, wait a second, I want to write a movie. Um, And I want a South Asian woman in it. And I want her to really 
challenge the norms that she's grown up with and and step outside what she thinks she knows about society's milestones and create her own. Hopefully you'll see that. And maybe you won't. You know what I mean? Like I'm very open about it and I'm very excited about it. I believe in the things that I'm creating. I'm getting so much out of creating them alone, but I do hope the world gets to see them because it's my storytelling of our culture and of me, but of bigger themes that I want us to I don't know, move the needle on together uh, as a collective conversation. And and if I can keep telling stories in different mediums and in different ways, I'm going to keep doing it. And where can my listeners find you and follow you? I'm on Instagram and TikTok under my full name, Aparna Shawakramani. I wasn't fighting anyone for that one. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> on Twitter, but not very active, but if people need to tweet, you know, I'm there. A lot of Indian people like adding me on LinkedIn. So I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> so I am on LinkedIn and I've gotten thousands of people adding me in the past few weeks and after season one. So any parting thoughts, Auntie? Parting thoughts. I'm very proud of all of you. This generation over here, so many dynamic young friends she has. And I'm like amazed at each and every one of you. And I'm really thrilled about that. I really am. I want you guys to go forth and just conquer the world because I know you can. Thank you. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Oh, my mom's going to be in my new docu-series. So you'll be seeing her more on your screen. Yes. Oh, I can't wait. I mean, it just the, the character, the lead character is her pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like. <laughs> I, I think so. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited about this thing I'm creating. It takes you through my, like my godmother will be on it. Sophie, the astrologer will be on it. My mom and I, um, you know, the backdrop will be India. I think that there's a story to tell and I'm excited about it. Oh my God, me too. The Indian Matchmaking Series has been brought to you by The Chai Box, a premium tea company and one of Oprah's favorites right here in the U.S. I especially love the Chai Tonic, Coconut Mela, Hill Station, and Punjaban Party blends. And there's also a chai concentrate that you can have on ice. You can shop products at thechaibox.com and remember to use my code MOMSENSE, M-O-M-S-E-N-S-E, to receive 10% off. That's code MOMSENSE to receive 10% off at the Chai Box. A big thank you to Aparna and Jyotika Auntie for joining me on the show. Jyotika Auntie, I am so honored that I was your first podcast. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and candor. And Aparna, you are brilliant. I can't wait for my listeners to see how truly likable the author of She's Unlikable is. I think it was wonderful to see your banter and connection. And it makes us all think of our moms and how they're the ultimate influencers in our lives. You can buy Aparna's book, She's Unlikable, wherever books are sold, Amazon and your independent booksellers. You can... Follow me and her on Instagram. Her handle is at Aparna Shewakramani. Mine is at Kanika Chanda Gupta. And you'll see highlights of both the episodes. And definitely check out my sponsors page, The Chai Box. I think chai is the ultimate warm hug that we all need. And it's something that we share as rituals, especially with our moms. So I can't wait for you to try all the lovely flavors that they have. And you can just check them out at thechaibox.com. Thanks again for listening. And if you have feedback or want to write in fan mail, just email me at that's totalmomsense at gmail.com. Remember, 
Always trust your mom's sense and dad's sense. Stay strong, super parents. I'll see you next time. That's total mom sense.